Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as, as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Mike. Oh, it's a good day to be alive. It's a good day to be a Christian. And even though it is cold and windy outside, it's warm in our hearts because of the love of Jesus Christ and what he means to us and what a beautiful God we have and who made us. It's good to see you out there, Ron. Ron Goodnight was my preacher when I was 15 years old. That's true. It's good to be here, and it's good to know about the men that have been selected. And I know that many of you will be fasting in the day to come. And I think about Tom and Brad. I think about Jim and David and Merritt. And these are good men who love the Lord. They are men that have been looked at and the men who are preparing for a great new work in their lives. They are men who already have been doing many good things. And I'm thankful for them, and I know that you're praying for them, and uh, many of you will be fasting for them in, in the time to come. Fast with joy. Fast with joy and put a smile on your face, knowing that you're doing something that is meaningful and really worthwhile, and thinking about God and God's ways and God's doing. When we think about the book of Ephesians, and Ephesians 4 that was read a moment ago, it's kind of like a before and after picture. You know, you, you can't go into the internet, you can't pick up a magazine, you can't watch TV for very long until they show you a before picture and an after picture. You know, and of course they're wanting to sell some product that way. And the before picture is always one where the person is almost depressed and they don't look good and things are not like they're supposed to be. And then after they have gone through this wonderful thing of buying the product and using it, all of a sudden their life has changed suddenly and they have become different kind of people. Well, that doesn't always happen with the products that you buy. But there is one before and after that I want us to think about that is not a before and after on the outside, but a before and after on the inside. And that's really what this passage is all about. And the difference is whether or not one is outside of Christ, that's before, or one is inside of Christ, and that's the after. And I tell you, there is a big difference in being outside of Christ and being inside of Christ. There's a big difference before you know the Lord and after you know the Lord. There is a difference spiritually. There is a difference in our hope and in our joy and in our life. 
And there is a difference, of course, in our salvation and in our relationship with God. And that makes all the difference in the world. In Ephesians 1 and verse 3, as this book begins, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing that's in the heavenly places in Christ. Do you know we already have that now? Every spiritual blessing that's in the heavenlies, we have right now in Christ. It's with us because of Jesus and because of what He has done. Now, so many of the people at Ephesus were Gentiles and had grown up as Gentiles only knowing paganism. They didn't know Jesus. They didn't know the power of the cross. They didn't know about the covenants of promise. They were aliens and strangers to God. Then we have a situation coming along where Paul begins to preach. And the power of God is strong in Paul. He's there and people begin to become Christians. They begin to learn about Jesus. In chapter 2, he reminds them in verse 12, I want you to remember... Remember that you were at that time, that is whenever you were still pagans before you became Christians. Remember at that time that you were separate from Christ. You didn't have a relationship with Him. You were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. You didn't have a part in the kingdom of God. And you were strangers to the covenants of promise. Then he makes this strong statement, and I want you to hear this. Because without Christ in the before, they were without hope and without God in the world. You know, if I had grown up then and had met Paul and I began to see what my life used to be like, and what it became, it would make a lot of difference to me. There are some of you who are here tonight who remember what things were like before you knew Christ and what things are like now that you have come to know Him. And there is a difference, a difference of heart and soul. In verse 13, he says, But now in Christ Jesus, he says, You who formerly were far off, You have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's a great thing. There was a time when God was way off from us. We didn't know Him and we had no relationship with Him. But now because of Jesus, we have a relationship. We've been brought near and the thing that brought us near was the blood of Jesus. And that's important. And so he says in verse 19, So then you're no longer strangers... You're not somebody that God, when He looks at you, I don't know you. You're not strangers or aliens. That is somebody from a foreign place that has no understanding of where we are and maybe doesn't even speak the language, doesn't know anything about it. You're no longer that way. But you're fellow citizens with the saints. You belong to the kingdom of God. You're one of the holy ones and you are of the household of God. Instead of being a stranger and somebody who doesn't know anything about God, now when God looks at you, He says, there's my son, there's my daughter, there's someone who is precious to me, someone that I love very, very much.
I love the words of John Newton, who wrote the song Amazing Grace. He had been a, a, a slave trader and a terrible sinner. And he hated himself for the things that he had done. You know what? Sometimes people forget that people hate themselves when they're in sin. They despise themselves and they're ashamed of the things that they do. John Newton was uh, thrown overboard and nearly lost his life on one of his ships. But whenever he was caught and brought back on the ship, he began to look at his life and his soul. And he thought God by grace saved him physically and he began to change his ways one of the things that he said so many years ago and I'm paraphrasing him he says I'm not all I, I ought to be and he could talk about that a while and then he says I'm not all that I want to be and he could talk about that for a while and then he said, I, I'm not all that I'm going to be. And then he stopped and he says, but thank God, that by his mercy and grace, I'm not what I used to be. You see, when a person becomes a Christian, he's created all over again in Christ Jesus, born again, created, and he's created to be a different kind of person than the person he was once before. Knowing and loving Christ makes all the difference in the world. And even the Apostle Paul, the chief of sinners, could say that by the grace of God, I am what I am. And you know what? It's by the grace of God that you are what you are as well. So let's go back into chapter 4 and verse 17. And he says there, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer. Now let's... Underline that word, no longer. You used to walk that way. You used to live like that. That's the way you behaved. That's the way you thought. That's the way you talked. But I don't want you to do that any longer. No, we've got something better than that. I don't want you to do like the Gentiles do. How they live and think. And it's in the futility of their mind. That is, the way they think goes nowhere. They think they have grand ideas, they, they love this and they love that, but it's, it's useless, it's empty, it's vain, it won't go anywhere. Because they're darkened in their understanding, and they're excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is within them. Now that's a pretty strong statement about being ignorant. But you know what? Our world today, many of the reasons why we're persecuted as Christians as Randy so well spoke about this morning from John chapter 16. One of the reasons why the world doesn't understand us is because they don't know Jesus. They don't really know what He is like. And even many people who are religious people today have a view of Jesus that is very different from the biblical view. They don't understand Him. And the pagans of ancient times, all they could think about was here was this guy, this Jew, who was a teacher, and all of a sudden people hated him, and they crucified him, and they put him in a tomb. Some people say he said, raised from the dead, but nobody believes he could raise from the dead. That's the kind of thinking that they would have had in those days. 
darkened in their understanding and excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that's within them and because of the hardness of their heart. You know, one of the things that living a pagan life does is it hardens the heart. It makes people begin to get to the point where they don't want to hear it. They don't want to know it. They don't want to have any part of it. And they began to harden themselves against the God who loves them more than anything. The one who would give up Jesus for them. But they began to throw up a shell and a hard heart against God. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity. And they do this with greediness. The people in the days of Paul at Ephesus, all they had heard about was great as Diana of the Ephesians. Diana allowed them to do all kinds of immoral things and greedy things and bad things. And they were so caught up in that that they couldn't think about something that was holy or good or righteous. And Paul reminds them of where they used to be. This is one of the hardest passages, I think, in Scripture whenever you think of the words of the Apostle Paul as he describes people who are outside of Christ. He says in Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 1, and you were dead. He doesn't say you were mistaken or inappropriate. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked. That's the way you used to be. According to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sun's of disobedience. Then he says, among them, we too, all of us, formerly lived. We lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We're by nature children of wrath. That's where we were going, even as the rest. Here was a group of people who were callous, who just wanted what they wanted today, who had no idea of what the future held for them when this life was over. They were filled with myths and with legends and with false ideas. And they didn't know they were children of wrath, that wrath was where they were going and what would happen to them. I think of the words of Paul to Titus, the people at Crete, and I think they're perhaps true of some of the folks at Ephesus. It talks about how some of their own poets, one of themselves, a prophet of their own, had said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. That's the way the world was. You live for yourself. You'd never heard that God that was in that temple say anything to you. He never told you anything about how to live or what to be. You only knew that if you gave stuff to Him, that He wouldn't get mad at you. You see, the pagans of ancient times didn't have a love relationship with the God of heaven or any God. Their gods were only vengeful gods. Their gods, if there was anything bad that happened, it was because we didn't do enough to, to please our God, and so He's punishing us. That was their view of God. It was never a situation where they could, like Mike did a little bit ago, cry out to our Father in heaven. 
who loves us and hears our prayers and who looks at us like His children. No, there was never a relationship like that. God wants something better for us than to be always liars and evil beasts and lazy gluttons. There's something nobler. There's something higher. There's something better that God wants for your life and for my life. And so there is something beyond that. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 to 5, it says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, a big word which just means your holiness. God wants you to live a holy life, to talk words that show you have a holy life, to do things that show you have a holy life, the way you treat other people that shows you have a holy life. Not like they used to be, callous and selfish and greedy, but loving and open and giving and and caring. But he defines a little bit about what he specifically means in this word sanctification. He gets specific. He says, that is that you abstain from sexual immorality. You see, that's the way they worshiped in those days, with sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion. This is like the Gentiles who don't know God. People who don't know God will live any way they want to live, do anything they want to do. And folks, as we look around in our nation and in our culture today, there are people who really do not know God and live the way that they live because they don't know Him and because sanctification is not really a part of their heart and their life. But there's an after picture, an after picture. In Ephesians 4 and verse 20, he says, But you didn't learn Christ this way. If indeed you've heard Him and have been taught in Him, just as truth is in Jesus. If you really want to know how to distinguish what's good and what's not good, look at Jesus. What's true and not true, look at Jesus. If you want to know what's morally right and what's morally wrong, look at Jesus. Jesus distinguishes those things for us. And He helps us to understand exactly the difference between the things that will build us up and make us better and the things that will tear us down and hurt us. And I would remind you once again that everything that is in this book, everything that God ever gave to us, every law, every commandment, it wasn't something that He did to try to suppress us or put us down. He gave it to us to bless us, to help us, to keep us from hurting ourselves and hurting other people. And when we follow God, life gets better and better. And when we shut Him out... Life is worse. And these pagans who had come out of that lifestyle, those Gentiles who didn't know God, when they learned about Jesus and they began to hear about the cross and the love of Jesus and the love of God and they were able to come close to God, they could see the powerful difference between the two things. Oh, He wants you to learn Christ. And so he says in verse 22, and he gets specific, that in reference to your former manner of life, you take off those clothes. You lay that old self aside. That's really what it means to die to ourselves 
And there are times when we have to crucify ourselves. It's not always easy to change our thinking and change our behavior. But he says, you know, once you run across Christ and you begin to see the glory and the beauty that he brings, there is a time that you take that old self and you just lay it aside. And you say, that's not me anymore. I don't live that way anymore. That's how I used to be, but by the grace of God, it's not how I am now. You lay that aside. You lay that aside and it's being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. You know, that, that life, that old life was always corrupt. And you'd lie to yourself and you'd deceive yourself because of what you wanted. And maybe you'd get what you wanted, but in the end it would bite you and hurt you. You lay aside that old self. And then you be renewed. God begins to make you over. God begins to renew you. You know, all of us at time need a reset button where we become different kinds of people than we were before. We become renewed to be a little more like Jesus Christ. To be renewed in the spirit of your mind and then you began, just like you took off the old clothes, you put on some new clothes. You put them on which is in the likeness of God. What's Jesus like? That's how I want to be. What's the Father like? That's how I want to be. How does He deal with things? That's how I want to deal with things. How does He talk? That's the way I want to talk. How did Jesus pray? That's how I want to pray. How did God forgive? That's how I want to forgive. We begin to change. We're renewed in the likeness of God and we've been created in righteousness and in the holiness of of the truth. God can take you if you will let Him, transform you and renew you and recreate you in His holiness and His righteousness and with His truth. But you have to let Him. You have to let Him. I think of Ephesians 2. And I want to go back to that passage. I think that's such a marvelous chapter. Beginning in verse 4, after we've talked about how that they were children of wrath, even as the rest. You know, if you had stopped there, that would be a terrible statement. But God being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He has loved us, even when we were dead, yes, we were dead in our transgressions and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. Just like He raised up Christ from the dead, He raised us up from the dead. The old man died, and a new man came to life. He made us alive together with Christ, and He says, by grace you've been saved. And He raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him. I want you to hear this part. And seated us with Him in the heavenly places. Do you know that your name, if you're in Christ is written in a book in the heavenly places that you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven that's where your citizenship is you're not what you used to be you're what God has created you to be and made you to be and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus now here's the reason why so that in the ages to come 
He might show, and I want you to see this because this is what heaven's going to be like in these ages to come, that he might show the surpassing riches of his grace. You think you understand grace now? You wait till you get to heaven. And there he's going to show you the surpassing riches of his grace and glory and in kindness. And it'll be toward us in Christ Jesus. Oh, it'll be something far beyond anything that we can imagine. The beauty and the glory and the grandeur of what it means to be a child of God. Oh yes, the after is much greater, much better than the before. Now sometimes people who've grown up in Christian families, they don't always enjoy or even understand maybe all of the blessings of a mindset of knowing Christ. Those of you who've grown up coming to church, and that's the way you've known it all your life, please don't ever take for granted the blessings that Christ has given to you. Please don't ever be the kind of person who gets actually a little bored with what God has done and not realizing what a great gift God has given to you. Many times they don't really enjoy the mindset that those families who've grown up without Christ, and then they begin to see the difference of being outside and being inside. They value, they value what they've seen. They value what's been a part of their lives. I want us to move on to the practical application. Number one, he says, therefore laying aside falsehood. What I want you to do is speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. We're living in a time in which there's always been a lot of lies around. Adam and Eve fell in transgression because Satan lied to them. And they believed it. I think about one of the things that God hates in Proverbs 6 and verse 17 is a lying tongue. And I think of Revelation 21 and verse 8, which talks about all liars being excluded from heaven. We live in a time of fake news and lots of confusion. People tell themselves lies morally and spiritually and other ways. And how badly we need to speak the truth one to another. Why? Because we're members of one another. You may never know me or never known me before a few years ago. But you know what? Your Father in heaven is my Father in heaven. And your Savior is my Savior. And your God is my God. And we are brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ. And we belong to one another. And that's why we need to speak truth to each other, because we belong to one another. Second, he says to them in chapter 4, verse 26 and 7, be angry. Yeah, there are times that people just rub us the wrong way, be angry, and yet do not sin. Don't be somebody who takes it out on somebody else. If you had been a pagan growing up in a world without Christ, somebody does you wrong and you're going to do them wrong. You're going to make it hurt worse than you got hurt. No, be angry, yeah. There are times that it happens. But don't sin. 
And then he says, look, you get over it. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath, your anger. And don't you give the devil an opportunity to get in your life and to plant that seed of bitterness that grows and grows and grows. Let me tell you what, the reason people begin to hate each other and the reason people pull apart from each other, the reason why families break up from each other is sometimes there is that seed of hatred that gets planted in somebody's heart and it gives the devil an opportunity to push and push and push. And even in some churches, when God loved the church and wanted it to be together, the devil didn't want it to be together. And one of the things that we must always resist is if anyone plants a seed of bitterness within brethren, we need to stay whole and together and one. Verse 28, He who steals must steal no longer. You've got to give that up. Get rid of that way of life. There are people who like to steal and that's the way they act. And he says, don't you do that anymore. Rather, what I want you to do is I want you to work. I want you to labor, performing with your own hands. I want you to earn your money and performing with your own hands to do what is good and what is right so that you'll have something to share with anybody who has need. You're not just working for yourself. You're working for those around you. Verse 29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. What is an unwholesome word? Well, it might be a curse word. It might be a ugly word. It might be a, a name-calling word. It might be a gossip word. It might be a hateful word. It might be any number of things. But don't let unwholesome words proceed from your mouth. What kind of words does he want? You see, there's a before and after with all of these. Rather, what I want you to do is I want you to speak such a word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Colossians 4 and verse 6 says, Let your speech always be with grace, favor, love, as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Verse 30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed unto the day of redemption. He mentioned that in chapter 1 and verse 13 when we became Christians, that one of the things that we were sealed is with the Holy Spirit. You know, God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit all have feelings. Have you ever thought about that? That when God looks down and He sees that you've done something that's shameful or wrong, that you've not only broken His law, you've broken His heart. God is a person, and you are His child. And so don't grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit grieves. If He grieves, so does Jesus who died for you. So does the Father who gave up His Son for you. God has feelings. Isaiah 43 and verse 24 says, Rather, you have burdened me with your sins and you've wearied me with your iniquities. God feels the things that we do. And then verse 31 and 2, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And then he gives the but. He says, but, be kind to one another, 
tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Instead of getting angry and telling everybody about how terrible this is or that is, go and be tender-hearted and forgiving and kind because God was that way toward you. God treated you like that. The Sermon on the Mount Toward the end of the fifth chapter, verse 43, he says, You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God loves everybody, and he treats us better than we deserve even when we are evil and unrighteous by giving us sun and rain and providing for us the things that we need. And you know what? We can learn to treat other people that way too. Well, how do I put off the old self and put on the new self? Well, 1 Peter 2 and verse 24 says that He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross that we might die to sin. Until you die to sin, you really haven't put off that old self. Oh, I know that as Christians we all face our struggles. But dying to sin means I'm going I'm to quit that. I'm going to cease from that. I'm going to die to that sin. I'm not going to let that control me anymore. But dying to sin is not all of it. It's also living to righteousness. Not only am I going to put away the things that hurt, I'm going to take on the things that help. And then he says, for by his wounds, you were healed. Every wound that Jesus took upon His head, His face, His back, His hands, His feet, His side, He took it for you and for me. And He did it to heal us of that old sin problem. Galatians 3 and verse 26, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Now when someone goes up into this baptistry and they're baptized, they're buried with Christ, raised with Christ, but one of the things they do is they clothe themselves with Christ. You didn't have Christ on you before, but when you come up out of that water, there is an after, and Christ is on you and in you and a part of you, and you become a child of God. Romans 6 and verse 4, Therefore we've been buried with Him by baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him. Who crucified us? It was God. Who buried us? It was God. Who raised us? It was God. Who gave us newness of life? It was God. That our old self was crucified with Him. Why? In order that the, our body of sin might be done away with. He didn't want you to be a sinner anymore. And He got rid of it. And He forgave it through the blood of Jesus so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who died is freed from sin. Oh, I like that. 
Now, the book of Ephesians was written to Christians. It wasn't written to the lost. It was written to Christians. And it was a book of remembering of what things used to be like and how the blood of Jesus came along and what they are like now. What's your life like now? Did the blood of Jesus make a difference in you and how you think and how you talk and how you live and how you treat other people? How has the blood of Christ made a difference in your life? Let me ask you this one question as we bring this to an end. Are you walking like you did before Christ? Or are you walking like you should after Christ? How are you living your life? If I were to look at you on a day-to-day basis, are you a before or are you an after? Has the blood of Jesus mattered to you? If it has not, then you need to make a change. You need to come to Jesus. If you're a brother or sister and you've gotten back into the habit of living like you never knew God, it's time to lay aside that old self and be renewed. And If you need to do that tonight, do it now while we stand and sing. A gentle voice.